Reading from Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, starting at verse 20. And here it's titled, Gabriel Brings an Answer. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God, for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding, and beginning at the beginning of your pleas for the mercy a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. The year of Jubilee is the theme of many a song in our day. Those who believe that we are already in the year of Jubilee argue that it dawned on us in the first coming of Jesus. And such people rejoice in singing, it's a time of joy, a time of peace, it's a time of grace, a time of hope, a time of sharing the gifts we have, for we are in the fullness of God's time. It's the time of the great jubilee. Those who believe the year of jubilee has not yet dawned sing in hope-filled happy anticipation, praise the Lord, 
I've been invited to a meeting in the air. Jubilee, Jubilee. All the saints of all the ages in their glory will be there. I am going to that happy Jubilee. Jubilee, Jubilee. Oh, I'm going to that happily or happy Jubilee. They, these people, believe the year of Jubilee will only dawn with Christ's return on the clouds at his second coming. But others, me included, have no issue with singing both already and not yet Jubilee songs because we believe there is an already and a not yet period to the coming of the messianic kingdom. But what is meant by the year of Jubilee and where and why is it mentioned in scripture and, and what is its connection to Daniel 9, 70 weeks prophecy. Christopher Wright says, the first response to redemption is rejoicing. Like Moses and Miriam in Exodus 15 after Israel's redemption out of slavery in Egypt. But, says Wright, Rejoicing in redemption was not to die away like the cheering and applause at the end of a great sporting victory. It was to become a habit embedded in Israel's culture. The redemptive reign of God continued to be actualized in the worshipping life of Israel as a redeemed people. Israel were to reflect the character of the Redeemer in the way they behave. Those who know what it is to be redeemed must live redemptive towards others, especially those now in the same need as Israel was when God redeemed them. And brothers and sisters, this principle of, of reflecting the Redeemer through redemptive living was stipulated in Leviticus chapter 25's command to keep a year of jubilee. We read, you shall count seven weeks of years, so that the time of the seven times seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then on the day of atonement, you should sound the trumpet, and you should consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. 
it shall be a jubilee. Now, just for interest's sake, the word jubilee comes from the Jewish word yubil, which means ram's horn trumpet. More important this morning to know that in the Old Testament, year of jubilee, debts were forgiven and slaves were set free and the land was given a year-long Sabbath rest as the people of God celebrated God's grace in providing them with atonement and liberty. But observance of Jubilee never really functioned well in Israel. The covenant people mostly ignored this regulation and therefore neglect in keeping Jubilee became one of the reasons why God's curses on covenant break befell the covenant people of God by way of exile to Babylon for 70 years. And indeed, Israel's failure to keep the Jubilee regulation about rest for the land is mentioned as one of the sins which resulted in exile, according to Leviticus 26, verse 34 and 35. And Second Chronicles 36, 21 even states that the land enjoy its Sabbath rest all the time of its desolation until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. There in Babylon, Daniel studied Jeremiah's prophecies and concluded that the 70 years of exile punishment would soon come to an end. And, and Daniel gathered from Jeremiah 31 God's promise that the ending of the 70 year of judgment would usher in the time when God would restore the covenant relationship with a new covenant. He also read Jeremiah 33:15's promise about the coming of the Messiah. In those days I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So Daniel prayed. In the first part of Daniel 9, that God would forgive their transgressions of all the covenant laws and regulations and would now fulfill his promise to restore his people to their land in his mercy and grace. Then in verse 23 to 24, the angel Gabriel announced, as soon as you began to pray, a word went out 
which I have come to tell you. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city. There shall be seven weeks, then sixty-two weeks, and after the sixty-two weeks, one week. Seven plus sixty-two plus one weeks add up to seventy weeks. Why is the future envisioned in terms of 70 weeks of years and not just as 490 years? The reason, brothers and sisters, is found in Leviticus 25's observance of the year of Jubilee. As it says in verse 8 to 12, you shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years, and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim the liberty throughout the, the land. Every 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. So, Daniel 9's 70 weeks indicates ten cycles of jubilee. We've already man, uh, mentioned the, the, that jubilee meant uh, debts cancelled and land returned and slaves set free and the rest and rest to the, the land like in no sowing and reaping in the 50th year. Jubilee just thus signal pardon and release and restoration. In, in other words, the inauguration of new beginnings. Consequently, it is no surprise, says Sam Storms, that the Jubilee became a symbol, a prefigurement of the ultimate redemption, release, and restoration that God would accomplish spiritually on behalf of his people. Indeed, says Storms, the final day of salvation to be inaugurated by Messiah will conceive or was conceived and described in terms of the release ordinance of the Messianic year of Jubilee. Storms, as many other theologians, concludes, the Jubilee year of God in which the consummation of redemption and restoration is to occur is described in Isaiah 62, verse 1 to 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, and to proclaim the favorable year 
of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. This passage is quoted by Jesus in Luke chapter 4. And he applied it to himself, to his own person and work. In other words, the fulfillment of the prophetic jubilee or favorable year of the Lord had come in the person and work of Jesus Christ and has therefore already dawned in the first coming of the Messiah. Robert Sloan is spot on correct in concluding the Mosaic legislation of the Jubilee year is used by both the author of Isaiah 61 and Jesus in Luke 4 as a means of describing the eschatological age of God that had dawned with the appearance and ministry of Jesus. The purpose of the 70 weeks prophecy in Daniel 9 was to announce the ultimate release and redemption and restoration of which the Jubilee year was a type or a symbolic prefigurement. The 70-year weeks prophecy in Daniel was announcing circumstances leading up to Christ's first coming and then the ensuing church age, church age after that, at the conclusion of which the eternal perfect consummation of Jubilee will dawn as the new heaven and earth. Revelation 21. This prophecy indicates that the promised restoration of the covenant people would come about not at the end of 70 years in exile, but at the end of another ten cycles of jubilee years in three periods of year weeks. The first period of seven year weeks would run from the issuing of the decree by Cyrus to go reconstruct Jerusalem up to the time when the rebuilding would be completed in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. The second period of 66 weeks after the city's rebuilding would be a time of trouble. And so was it indeed. First, the land was occupied by the Greeks under Alexander, Alexander the Great, then the Ptolemies of Egypt until the Seleucids of Syria conquered the land. And that brought Antiochus for Epiphanes to power. 
And under him, the people of God suffered incredible persecution. And then in 63 before Christ, the horrendous Roman rule began. So in the period of 66 weeks, year weeks, Jerusalem would not yet enjoy the complete safety and security promised in Jeremiah 33. There would be, this would be, or that would be caused by, only by the righteous brands and jubilee circumstances would only dawn in the last period. The third period would usher in the 70th year week when the messianic ruler will make his appearance. During that period, six things would happen. Transgression will be finished. Sins will be brought to an end. Reconciliation will be made for iniquity. Everlasting righteousness will be established. Vision and prophecy will be sealed and the most holy will be anointed. Now this, brothers and sisters, is clearly a prophecy about the work of Christ the Messiah during his first coming. The first three of these purposes were realized in that he was cut off or died for our sins, that through him we might die to sin and be raised to a new life of righteousness, Romans 6. It is because these things had been already accomplished by Jesus that grace reigns through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 5. He already came to seal up vision and prophecy. He is God's last word, isn't it? Hebrews 1 verse 1. In him prophecy and prophet are united and he is the fulfillment of the great jubilee prophecy. How do the words anoint the Most High find fulfillment in the first coming of Jesus? The Most Holy is a reverence, a reference or reverence to the Most Holy of Holies the, in, in the tabernacle, the tabernacle and all the furniture which was consecrated to God. Jesus came to fulfill all this holy, all that the Holy of Holies represented. Remember what 
John tells us. He tells us that the word which is Jesus, the Messiah, became flesh and dwelt, literally tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory. That same Shekinah glory of God which was manifested in the tabernacle. And John's gospel also records the remarkable words spoken by Jesus himself as our high priest, as he said, for this sakes I sanctify or made ho- make holy myself. I sanctify myself. Jesus Brothers and sisters, himself was and is the most holy in this prophecy. So one scholar correctly concludes, when our Lord ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit descended, there remained not one of these six items of Daniel 9 that were not already fully accomplished. Another scholar, therefore, is therefore 100% correct in stating the purpose of the 70 weeks prophecy was to secure that ultimate salvation, that release and redemption and restoration of which the Jubilee year was a type or symbolic prefigurement. When Jesus declared that in him the jubilee of God had come. He is saying, in effect, that the 70 weeks of Daniel had reached their climax. The new age of jubilee, of which all previous jubilees were prefigurements, had now dawned in the person and ministry of Jesus. But did Jesus really already inaugurate the final year of Jubilee? Did his first coming do it? And through his messianic ministry, can we really believe the already and not yet view in regards to the future. Isn't the dispensational, dispensational view more correct in claiming that there is an interval or prophetic gap between the 69th and the 70th week, during which the church age plays out in 2,000 plus years and and the end of which the Antichrist then will come and destroy Jerusalem and its rebuilt temple and after the rapture of the church and during the great tribulation and in those last days he will make a covenant the covenant of verse 27 with some of the Jews. Who's the he, they say? 
the Antichrist. And the Antichrist will then only break this, uh, will, will break this covenant, and then only after this gap between 96 and 70th, Jesus will return and set up the final year of Jubilee. Isn't the dispensational view correct? This dispensational view is strongly based on an interpretation of verse 26 and 7, and you've got uh, on the pamphlet that I asked to be handed out uh, on, uh, in the first part there, you will see where it's going here. You, you will see the dispensational view is strongly based on an interpretation of a 60, uh, 26 and 27 that sees the prince to come as the Antichrist still to come in the distant future. And the making of a strong covenant, covenant as that of the Antichrist with the Jews during the great tribulation still to dawn in a distant future. Now I personally would rather agree with the messianic view that these verses are best understood as a chiastic or a B, A, B, parallelism as presented on the handout. Listen how I read it, and you can follow on, on the printout. A, and after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. A one, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. Then B, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war, desolations are decreed. Be one, and on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. In this structure, A and A1 refer to the same event. The sacrificial work of the anointed one, which is Jesus Christ. The sections B and B1 both have in mind the destruction of Jerusalem and his temple by Titus and his Roman army in 70 or AD 70. This view contend that the 70-year weeks reach fulfillment in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and in the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. Isn't this precisely how Jesus himself interpreted Daniel 9's 
verse 27 in Matthew 24, referring to the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70, as we read it in 15, verse 15, where it says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. The covenant maker is not the Antichrist. Meredith Klein has pointed out that the verb used for making a strong covenant is associated with confirming a covenant already in place. In this case, God's covenant of grace announced already in Genesis 4 and to Abraham. And that rules out an antichrist that will only dawn on the scene somewhere in the distant future. The covenant maker is no other than the Lord Jesus Christ in fulfillment of the Jeremiah 31 prophetic promise by God, Behold, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, for I will forgive them their um, iniquities and remember their sin no more. The covenant maker is no other than the Lord Jesus in fulfillment of Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34's prophetic promise by God, Behold, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and of Judah, for I will forgive them their iniquity and remember their sin no more. The covenant maker reaffirms a covenant which is already set in place with the many of Abraham's offspring and those people of the earth God promised to bless through Abraham. That's why Jesus at the last supper took the cup and said, this cup is poured out for you. And this is the new covenant of my blood. Not long into Jesus' ministry, John the Baptist was imprisoned in a crisis of faith. He sent a message to Jesus asking, are you the one who was to come or should we expect another one else, someone else? Jesus answered, Go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear and the dead are raised up. And the poor, and to the poor, good news are preached. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In effect, concludes the scholar, Jesus is telling John that the Jubilee is already being proclaimed 
in his words and deeds of restoration. For John, both the irony of this and the trial of his faith was that he was in prison at the time. And this, brothers and sisters, is another sign that the kingdom is already here, but not yet fully here. And therefore, for John, jubiler, like freedom, release, and release would come after death. It cannot be without significance, says his scholar, that Jesus rolled up the scroll and handed it back to the synagogue attendant without reading the last part of Isaiah 61, as we read in Luke 4, where Isaiah spoke of the anointing of the Messiah by the Spirit to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Why did Jesus cut the last part of the verse about God's vengeance? Because of the already not yet of the messianic kingdom. Already the favor of Jubilee had dawned in his first coming, but not yet the final consummation of it during his second coming and on Judgment Day. So the Nazareth Manifesto announces the year of the Lord's favor, Jubilee, but not yet the day of the Lord's vengeance. On the evening of his resurrection, Jesus said to his disciples, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Just as Jesus' mission to inaugurate the kingdom of God is linked with the Holy Spirit, which was upon him and anointed him to bring good news by the proclamation of pardon and release and restoration, so he links his disciples' mission into the world with the Holy Spirit. Our worldwide mission to proclaim the year of Jubilee is dependent on the empowering by the Holy Spirit, the spirit of mission. So dear congregation, what should we, what should be our daily agenda as we enjoy the blessings of the year of Jubilee already ours by grace through faith in Jesus and as we await the not yet, the final consummation of God's favorable year at the return of the Lord on the clouds with his second coming. As the redeemed people of God, we should reflect the character of our Redeemer in the way we behave 
towards other people still in desperate need of pardon, release, and restoration. We should live redemptively in this broken world by following in the steps of the Redeemer and in the power of the Holy Spirit, sharing what we have received, showing other beggars where to find bread, eternal life, and joy, real joy. Our joy and hope in worship should be inviting others to join our rejoice response to God's redemption in Jesus. Therefore, people of God, blow ye the trumpet, blow the gladly solemn sound. Let all the nations know to earth's remotest bound the year of jubilee, of jubilee is come, returning ransom sinners home. And let us also rejoice in singing, Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun at the trumpet call. Lift your voice, the year of jubilee. And out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, when we are tempted by hardship or persecution not to trust you, but to doubt our already blessedness, blessedness in Christ and to conform to the sinful ways of our culture, we need the comfort and encouragement of today's message. Lord, by your Spirit, help us to trust and obey for there is no other way. We pray for those in our midst battling difficult circumstances like a relational issue at school or home or work and perhaps the loss of a job and perhaps the series of failures, perhaps the unremitting pressure of debt or the present culture's demand to conform, whatever these circumstances wooing them to bail out of trusting you and to resort to own devices in trying to cope. Whatever these circumstances, Lord, we ask you to reassure them that you understand and you are willing to help in your sovereign power and ability to save and to protect and to provide just as you've done in the 32 years or 30 years plus that you roamed the earth. May your spirit help and guide us in sharing what we have with those in need in the community, Lord. And thank you for the already of the year of Messianic Jubilee and for the steadfast hope that the not yet of the year of Jubilee will surely dawn with the second coming of our Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, come soon. Amen.